Okay, well first I wanted to talk about lightsabers and just kind of get that out of the way. Alrighty. Um, how are they? <laughs> they are awesome. <laughs> how are lightsabers? Lightsabers are awesome. I'm going to regret this. Listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, also known as Count Druncula, as far as my lawyer knows. This time, I'll be reaching way, way back into the vault of forgotten audio to talk about lightsaber battles with Jay Shearer and Nathaniel Wayne. These conversations were part of my earliest recording sessions back in January, and they were deleted from what became episodes three and four of this podcast. Just like the deleted scenes resurrected for the Star Wars Special Edition, I think you'll agree that these talks are pointlessly redundant, and they totally kill the pacing of this show coming off of the excitement for the Force Awakens teaser. But that's what you're getting. So, like I said, I went back and I compared the lightsaber duel in Empire Mm -hmm. to the ones in Phantom and Revenge. Okay. And, you know, so Phantom and Revenge, incredibly acrobatic, incredibly exciting, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a natural consequence of we've been seeing this stuff for 30 years. Right. You know, um, Hong Kong influences have come into American film. We've got to up the ante, particularly in Phantom Menace when you've got Ray Park, (laughs) you know, as the the bad guy. Yeah. You know, this this is not going to be, you know, like the Empire Mm -hmm. Duel. You know, the Empire Duel is just the quick few hits, few hits, few hits, so on and so forth. You know, I remember reading somewhere the reason it's like that is because they often had to shoot without David Prowse being in the scene because he couldn't wear his helmet because he couldn't see well enough to fight. Or they had um, the Olympic fencing champion who did all the training. Oh, yeah. They had him stand in for Vader. Yeah. You know, whereas Mark Hamill did all of his own stunts. Yeah. Did all of his own stunts, learned all the sword work. Yeah. You know, I obviously, once again, he's, you know, he spent some time in the theater. He's proved himself as an actor at this sure. point. And he's like, no, I'm doing all my own crap. The argument that I've heard against the lightsaber duels in the prequels, which I tend to agree with, as, as cool as some of them look, is that if you look at them as fight choreography, mm-hmm. the choreography is more emphasized than the fight. Yes, and absolutely. It, like uh, particularly the battles between Obi Wan and Anakin and Revenge of the Sith. Oh yeah. There's moments where I was like, they're just dancing. Yeah. Like, like this isn't when the sabers get knocked off yeah. and they start kicking each yeah. other and doing flips and yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's a dance. Yeah. You know. But at the same time, I would point out that Ridley Scott once said that you can draw a direct line from Singing in the Rain to Hero or House of Flying Daggers. 
Because think about the way that the fight sequences okay. are shot in Hero and House of Flying Daggers, and the way dance sequences are shot in Singing in the Rain. What does the camera do? Camera sits back. You've got a master. Or, yeah, yeah, it's just a master shot. You see the entire body of all the people involved, right. and you just see their entire body doing their thing, whether it's dancing or whether it's fighting. You know, because that was Gene that was Gene Kelly's theory. Gene Kelly once proposed the only way that you can appreciate dance on film is to see the entire body in motion. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll analyze Singing in the Rain for you in a second <laughs> for a second. Singing in the Rain, the signature number, four and a half minutes long. You know how many shots it consists of? Ten. Mm -hmm. It consists of 10 40-second shots, roughly evenly divided. Yep. And those 40-second shots is just the camera following mm -hmm. Gene Kelly around as he does his thing. And, you know, it's not like it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated at all. The only complicated thing is when the camera soars, mm -hmm. when he starts really twirling around with the umbrella. Mm -hmm. Now, cut to Empire. Okay? In Empire, it's when they are battling before they go downstairs and there's the glass yeah. break and all that. Almost everything is in long shot or in medium close-up, basically from the waist up. Why? Because to appreciate the fight, right. you have to see the whole body. Right. Then Lucas, when he's doing his thing, mm -hmm. he either does extreme long shots or gets up close and personal with the fighting. And the up close and personal with the fighting just doesn't work. You know, I understand, like, with Ian McDermott, you had to get up close and personal because right. the dude's old. Right. You know, or um, Christopher Lee. Christopher right. Lee's 80 years old. He's right. not going to be able to, right, right. you know, jump up and down the way yeah, Ewan yeah. McGregor or... Um, Hayden Christensen. Yes. You know, but in Empire, most of it is long shot or medium close-up, just so we can appreciate what these guys are doing. Even if it's not all that exciting, there's a few spins. Yep. There's a couple twirls. But mostly it's just, okay, I'm gonna try to hit you, you're gonna try to hit me. You know, and that and that's how sword fighting works. Um you know, because I mean, I, I've, I've actually taken the time to watch like Olympic fencing and stuff like that. And you see, it's like someone is in control for a while <laughs> until, you know, they realize, oh crap, I can't get it. Then the other guy takes control and they're defending and then it, it just goes back and forth. <laughs> back to your idea about the original intent and I don't I don't know if there's a thought that goes anywhere but but you know with with what surface level knowledge I have of samurai and and their swords and their sort of practices and sort of knowing that Jedi were at least slightly superficially informed by that mm -hmm. you know they, their swords were largely ceremonial they serve I mean they would be used in combat but they they were used very rarely, and the general rule of thumb is it never came out of its sheath unless it was going to be used. And I I think that that kind of mentality probably informs at least the notion of the of the lightsabers. Like, look, this is just something that you have. Mm -hmm. It's not your reason for being around, but you have it. Mm -hmm. If you turn it on, you best be using it. But mm -hmm. just don't make a deal of this. And in part, that's. That's really one of the things what, what I liked about Luke early on in Star Wars and in Empire Strikes Back was because he had the lightsaber, but it wasn't his go-to thing. He usually brought out a gun first. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, in that case, it also led to his evolution as he moved further away from the blaster right. and favored right. the lightsaber more heavily. Right. Right. 
I did my top three, and mm -hmm. interestingly, it was harder to do than I thought because I, you know, certainly comparatively, there are better ones, there are worse ones. I don't think there, there's maybe only a couple of lightsaber battles that I would say are bad. Because okay. at least from where I sit, even a mediocre lightsaber battle is more interesting and entertaining and energetic than 90% of sword fights in films. Mm. So, you know, I, I found myself, as I looked at a comprehensive list of all the lightsaber battles, going, whoa, there's more good ones than I would have thought. That said, mm -hmm. boiling it down to three, the th third would be Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon versus Darth Maul. Okay. For obvious reasons, but to get into it a little bit, there's just the spectacle of that fight and you know Darth Maul is not there, there's not a lot of emotional investment in that fight it is a superficial fight but that's true of most of the lightsaber battles in uh, in the prequel trilogy but I think what works in that one is that part of what went wrong with lightsaber battles as the prequel trilogy continued was that they got over choreographed yes and they got so fast that it was like what you're doing is not a reaction to what the other person you're just doing these planned moves as fast as you possibly can right. uh, yeah i make that i made that point that the the fight choreography the choreography was emphasized more than the fight and and that's true, and, and and I would still argue that they were still entertaining despite that. Well, as, but, as much as a dance is entertaining. Yes, but I actually think that that first fight from Phantom Menace balances that because only Darth Maul's moves mm -hmm. are overly choreographed, and with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, they, um, you know, are moving. They have fewer things that they're that they're doing. That what they're doing is much more deliberate, and. So it, it does not feel overly choreographed as a fight, first of all. And second of all, it makes Darth Maul that much more intimidating because it's like he's acting faster than he should even be able to think. Yeah. And so to have it be like a character trait for this guy that he's just that good, that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as the prequels progress and we realize, oh no, that's just how we're doing lightsaber fights now, it kind of actually took the cool off Darth Maul a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was like the only thing he had going was cool. But it's interesting you point that out because I think I really agree with that, and I think where that changes is after Qui Gon is killed, when it just turns into Obi Wan versus Darth Maul, when it's just a one on one, then it feels much more choreographed to the point where you're just looking at the stunts more than the attempt to yeah. defeat the other guy. Yeah, but when, when it is all three of them, I, I think I think it works very well. I agree. As, That's a good point. As a fight. Number two, which is probably most people's number one, but my number two is Luke and Vader in Empire Strikes Back, okay. which is um, a very well paced fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got it. it Did it, you lump the whole thing together? Like, I, from, I'm not. Yes, yep, I, 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 I will lump that whole fight together because I mean, it's it's broken up largely for purposes of pacing and editing of the overall film. Right, right. It's a continuous fight. It's it sort of happens in waves. Yeah, but it's one fight. Yeah, um, and. Just sort of seeing, because and at that point, admittedly, the only other lightsaber battle we saw was kind of because yeah. yeah. no one's going to put Obi Wan versus Vader yeah. in a top three because it's just not a very impressive fight. Right. But sort of seeing that brought to another level, and then of course, ultimately, what happens at the very end and the emotional impact of all that mm -hmm. adds even more to it. But 
the the way that it's paced is that there are moments that maybe Luke has the upper hand, but then Vader just specks him down. Yeah. Yeah. And it just sort of it's it's almost a slow realization as the fight goes on. It sort of dawns on you, Vader could take him out at any moment. Mm-hmm. And and it actually plays into the revelation of Vader being his father perfectly because mm-hmm. it's it's time that just about the point where you would start to think to yourself, why isn't he just killing him mm-hmm. is about the time that he reveals, I'm your father. And then you go, oh, and, and not only is that a massive revelation, it's like all of a sudden pieces fall into place for yeah. how this fight's been playing out. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things I like about it is the sense of the escalation. Because at first, Vader's fighting one-handed. Um, and Luke, I mean, it's clear that Luke is outmatched. Yeah. But Luke is doing better than Vader probably expects him to do. And you see that Vader starts upping his game mm-hmm. because Luke is proving a little bit more formidable than he expected. Because once then, you know, Vader starts fighting two-handed and then he starts throwing like the kitchen sink at him and everything in waves. Yeah. And then when Luke actually like hits a like scores a hit on him on his shoulder, that's when Vader kind of forgets what he's doing and cuts his hand off. I know, and there's that moment because you get in the voice that yeah, yeah, it's like, you little prick, and it just lops the hand off, and there it goes. Um, Okay. So, my number one is Luke and Vader in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Which is largely because of the emotional weight of that fight. Mm-hmm. If you were taking it strictly on the fight itself as an action scene, mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't rate it as high. Yeah. But the emotional weight of that fight mm-hmm. is epic. And between a combination of what happened in the last time they faced off, right. so you've got you've got the weight of not only the father and son fight, but mm-hmm. the fact that Vader very thoroughly whooped his butt last time around, plus the Emperor right there manipulating the whole thing. And actually, I can even pinpoint the specific point that even as a kid, I was like, oh. And it's when Vader goads him Mm -hmm. into coming out of the shadows, and Luke basically loses his cool Mm -hmm. and just goes off on him and with the music that kicks in there because it's this very heavy very bass heavy Mm -hmm. choral piece which you don't hear very often generally you get a chorus it's it's tenors and altos and this is like deep bass choral music chorus going on and as as the camera's moving through pillars so you're not even getting a good look but the, the sabers are just flailing and not in a heavily choreographed way in an angry brutal fashion because that's the thing Luke beats him but he doesn't beat him through finesse Mm -hmm. he does not beat him because he's just he beats him down Mm -hmm. just with sheer force and he just wails and wails and wails youth (laughs) until until he lops the guy's arm off and it's just anger and and maybe this is cheating in terms of this ring, but I, I have to factor in what happens immediately after the fight is technically over in a little bit. Because I, I feel this adds even more weight to it. Which is that Luke proves everybody wrong. Mm. Because what we see in that moment is the Emperor was right. His hate made him powerful. Mm-hmm. He beat Darth Vader because he got pissed and lost control. Mm-hmm. And what have we heard from 
wise old Master Yoda, from the very beginning, first time we met him, and I'm saying first time in terms of order of movies release, so once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. It's this idea of one tasting, you are never coming back. Well, you know what? He tasted. Mm -hmm. He tasted the power that his hate gave him. And what the Emperor said, your hate made you powerful, and it did, and he tasted that power, and he still said no. He proved the Emperor wrong. He proved Yoda wrong. He said, you know what? I, I can still be better. I had this moment. This happened. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with that, but I can... I can step back from this, and he just he, that he throws the lightsaber side right there. That it, it's the perfect cap on that fight. Yeah, it's an amazing moment. I remember seeing seeing the movie for the first time, and I actually I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater. Oh, you it lucky was, It was re-released. Um, it, it, this had to have been eighty-five or eighty-six. I Got think. It. I think eighty-five. They're showing our age. This is back in the days where there were so few new movies in a year. They would re-release exactly. popular movies exactly. from three or four years yeah, ago. Because I wasn't even two years old when it came out in the theaters the first time. But I know it was re-released. I saw it with my dad and my brother, and I, it might have been the first movie I saw in the theater. <laughs> but I know I had seen the other movies like on VHS, so I, I knew the story. So it wasn't a surprise. And I remember that whole sequence, that whole fight in the Emperor's throne room. And probably being a little bit too young to fully understand the emotion and all the nuance of that, what really stuck with me, and it always has, is the color palette in that sequence. Essentially, everything is black, mm -hmm. for the most part. All the costumes are black. There are a few little highlights. But then you've got these primary color accents with the red lightsaber, the green lightsaber, and these just pockets of blue lighting just kind of thrown around the room. And those weird little accents, those colors, always sort yeah. of like struck with me or stuck with me. And, yeah, just like the, the visual sense of that, like... It was like like seeing Tron or something like that. It just in this weird. It's 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 a it's a brilliantly composed yeah. sequence, yeah. and I yeah I w I was gonna say you know the director of Return of the Jedi doesn't get enough credit, and I think it's the evidence of the fact that I can't even remember the damn guy's name. Richard Marquand, yeah. Yeah, I. I don't think he gets enough credit because, you know, people look at Jedi and they go, oh, Ewoks, oh, it was the early hints of what was going to happen. But, you know, there is some really strong, powerful, beautifully composed stuff in that movie. I, 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 yeah, I really like the movie. I would give it today probably a B plus um, if I was grading them all. My problems with the movie are actually, like, I don't have a problem with the Ewoks. I mean, I do to a certain extent that uh, fundamentally it was just the movie turning into a merchandising excuse. Um, but my problem isn't with how cutesy they are and how like their their point in the story because I like what they do for the story. My problem is that it's essentially just Luke's story, mm -hmm. and none of the other characters matter. You can take Han and Leia out of that movie, and the plot doesn't change at all, and they really don't have any interesting character interactions or moments. I've got much more like structural and character-based problems for Return of the Jedi. I still love the movie, though. Um, yeah, if I was going my top three, and I'm actually going to do this in reverse order because you touched on most of them, I would say the lightsaber duel in Empire Strikes Back is my favorite, um, and Return of the Jedi is a pretty close second. My third, the third one that would make the top three, I really wanted to go that first battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader um, because my brain tried to make me reject everything about the prequels <laughs> but I have to say for pure entertainment value 
it's the only part that I do like about Attack of the Clones. And it's a cheat because it's not necessarily a lightsaber duel. It's the battle between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett in the rainstorm. Um, yep. Because it's something that we hadn't seen before. Like, the, the battle with uh, Darth Maul was a double-bladed lightsaber. That was something new. This was a battle between somebody, a Jedi and a non-Jedi, that was actually really competitive. And Jango Fett was probably the better combatant in that fight. He had the upper hand most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a different environment. It was a guy who looked close enough to Boba Fett that you could pretend it was Boba Fett. <laughs> and I just, I liked that battle because I was like, I haven't seen this in a Star Wars movie. It's somebody fighting with a lightsaber against somebody who doesn't have a lightsaber, and it's an even match. It shows that the Jedi aren't just superheroes who can cut through whatever they want. I was like, this was something different. So I think for that reason, I would probably put that at number three. It's not necessarily a lightsaber duel, but it's a lightsaber battle. Yeah. Um, not, I, not, none of these... This, this is a fight characteristic that came up twice in, in the prequels, and neither of us named it. But I, I want to get your opinion, because it's the one other sort of different from all the other when it comes to lightsaber battles, and that is your thoughts on Yoda in lightsaber battles. When I first heard that they were going to do it, I was really excited. And I thought this was going to be awesome. I thought this was going to be the coolest thing ever, seeing Yoda with a lightsaber. That, that's the one thing that I never realized I wanted to see. <laughs> then I saw it and I realized there was a reason why I never thought that would be cool. Um, I don't. I hate every, every, time Yoda, every time Yoda and every time Palpatine fight with a lightsaber, I hate those scenes. I hate those battles. Like, they, they feel unclean to me. Um, those are lightsaber battles that I would say are bad um, for visceral reasons. For one, Yoda flipping around and hopping kind of looks silly, and part of that is a limitation of the the CGI, kind of by today's standards. That's the other thing: is the 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 graphics and the the CGI in the prequels hasn't aged well. No. And by about two years after the movies came out, it hadn't aged well. Um, so I think the, the Yoda scenes look silly. I also think it undercuts Yoda's message. And it also undercuts the Emperor's message and how, like, what made him scary and what made him powerful. These characters seemed like they were above and beyond sort of the Jedi Knight. They weren't, they, they they were weren't people who would be on, like, the front lines of battle. They were more godlike, and they were just sort of like these this uber-powerful thing. Yeah, it, it did seem odd that Palpatine busted out a lightsaber, given that when, you know, what we knew of him when we certainly, when we saw him in Return of the Jedi, he didn't even need it. He was just throwing lightning left and right. And it, which apparently is something he could do even in the prequels, but he still got a lightsaber. And it also looked stupid. The first time he uses it in Revenge of the Sith, he like jumps across his desk and spins around like a missile or something <laughs> like that. And like with a lightsaber, as he's fighting like four different Jedi, and at that point I was, I'm tapping out. Like, no, you've lost me. This is ridiculous. I, b- I believe that was when he was fighting Kit Fisto amongst others. <laughs> One of the the greatest worst names ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I gosh, I started thinking about that. I forgot how many lightsaber duels are in the prequels. Like even the fights with Count Dooku, which yeah, I don't really remember. And that. The final battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Well, honest, honestly, that one, um, 
was one that it was. I don't think it was ever seriously in the running, but it, it falls just short of my top three for much of the same reason that I put the Return of the Jedi fight in my top spot, which is emotional weight. And I do think that that is one of the better moments played for an emotional resonance in the prequel films of of any time that they tried to do that, which it's hard to tell when they were because everything was just so flat from start to finish anyways. But I think it was one of the few times that they, they rung some some good emotional, mainly on the back of Ewan McGregor's performance, yeah. some good emotional weight out of it. Yeah. And for that, I kind of like the fight for that reason. Unfortunately, it gets downgraded because it's completely over-choreographed, like, yes. like we've talked yeah. about. Yeah, like the, the moment... I always, like, I close my eyes and I see the moment where they're swinging their lightsabers around each other. Yeah. And they're not even, they're not even hitting each other. They're just missing. And it's like... Well, I mean, that that's, that's a... Granted, more um, visually interesting, but that's that's a variation of my one of my all-time movie pet peeves, which is in a sword fight, mm-hmm. when two people swing, what is obviously not a swing to hit the other person, but is just meant to connect with the other sword in midair. Right. I hate I hate that almost more than anything else. Right. And it, t- it takes me out of any movie, any fight, so fast, because I'm just looking at that going, you didn't have to block that. Yeah. That was never, ever <laughs> going to hit you. The only reason that happened was to have them collide in the air and go clang. Yeah. Stop it! And yeah, so that's sort of the Jedi variant of that, and I hate it. Before I go, I somehow inexplicably managed to get two new iTunes reviews. The first is from Gene Hendricks, and it's a five-star review titled A Unique Star Wars Podcast. Gene writes, Yes, there are a number of Star Wars podcasts out there, but this one is unique not only in that it is named after killed alien infiltrators, but also because Count Druncula has his own point of view on things, and can back it up. If you want a show that delves into every corner of the Star Wars universe, and pulls no punches, you've found it. Thanks for that review, Gene. It's always great to hear feedback like that. And to pay it back, I recommend to all of my listeners that you check out Gene's blog at thehammerstrikes.com, where he covers movies, comics, and all sorts of aspects of geek culture. You can also follow the Hammer Podcast, which is part of the Two True Freaks Network. Just go to twotruefreaks.com and look for the Hammer Podcasts. The other review comes from Aaron Moss, who goes by the name Brotherhead. His review is titled, Live Hammerhead Drunks, a Star Wars podcast review. I love that title, man. Aaron writes, I first heard of this podcast on the Fire and Water podcast. At the time, I thought, while I love Star Wars, I have enough podcasts to listen to. Then I decided to download it and check it out, as there were only a dozen episodes. OMG, great show, great. Now I have another podcast I have to listen to. While unlike the host, I did like the prequels, listening to the Count and guests talk about it actually made me rethink them. Most of the time his guests are interesting and thought-provoking. Then he has Shag on. Just kidding. I enjoy his guests, as they bring up different viewpoints and make you think about things you've previously thought. As long as Ryan keeps putting out his Dead Bath and Spies podcast, I'll keep listening to them. Keep up the great work, Ryan. Wow, so much love from these reviews. I almost can't believe I was going to cancel this podcast and replace it with reviews of Knott's Landing. Brotherhead has a couple of podcasts of his own. You can find them at headspeaks.com and on iTunes. 
The first show, The Headcast, talks all sorts of movies, comics, and pop culture. In fact, the most recent episode as of this recording, episode 9 of Head Speaks, features Aaron and yours truly talking the Star Wars film saga. But he also has the Task Force X podcast, which is dedicated to the Suicide Squad from DC Comics. If you're a fan of those comics, or if you're interested in learning more about them because of the upcoming Warner Brothers movie, you've got to check out the Task Force X podcast. And that's all for this episode. I would normally thank my guests Jay and Nathaniel for appearing on this episode again, but these recordings are like three months old. They didn't do any extra work, so whatever. If you enjoyed this show, you can leave feedback at the blog page at deadbothandspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadbothandspies. You can also leave a review of this show on iTunes, and you can track me down on Twitter at ryandaily01 or the username countdrunkula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and until next time, may the third be with you. Stinger right now. Something, something, Star Wars, yeah. Something, Millennium Falcon. Woo!